lenders in general really have to think about agility from a couple different perspectives. One, technology agility, as well as mortgage originations agility. And when I talk about mortgage originations agility, it's talking about their ability to put out competitive loan products that are profitable. From a technology agility standpoint, it's kind of been a little bit starting to get accepted. I think people doubted the ability for a new technology entrant, which I'd say probably was a new technology entrant maybe three, four years ago. But now I think in the past year, it started to become a real kind of mainstay Hey folks, this is Clayton Collins, CEO of HW Media and your host for the Housing News Podcast. Today I am back with a repeat guest, Mr. Parvesh Sahi, Chief Revenue Officer at Poly. Earlier this summer, we recorded a series called the Secondary Market Masterclass and Parvesh was a guest during that masterclass series. I loved the conversation with him and had a few things I wanted to follow up on and jump back into the conversation. So we invited Parvesh back to do a quick recap on the masterclass but also talk about industry leadership and some current market dynamics. Parvesh has been hitting the road, traveling around and working hand in hand with mortgage banking executives and capital markets leaders. He's received a lot of interesting feedback and insights through those conversations, insights that are unique to the market we're operating in right now in Q3 2023, but also some longer term insights as banks and banking leaders prepare for the next phase of this market cycle. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation with Parvesh Sahi, Chief Revenue Officer at Poly. All right, Parvesh, welcome back to Housing News. I don't know how we got booked on a early Monday morning, but I am slamming coffee trying to get into podcast mode with you today. All right, so I'm working on my chai, so but I made it a dirty chai this morning, so it's tasting good. Cheers. All right, Parvesh, <laughs> we are we are back. This is the second time that you've been on Housing News in the the, the very recent uh, history. The first time, though, was for our secondary market masterclass, which was just a a phenomenal series that we did outlining all of the current trends, dynamics, and technology uh, impacts that are currently happening in the capital markets ecosystem and mortgage. Um, I learned a ton through through that show. The first episode was with you. We went on to an episode with John Foy from your team at Poly. Caroline Payne from Movement, Greg Richardson from Premise, and finally, Adam Carmel, the CEO at Poly. Did you have any big takeaways from, from that series? I learned so much. I'm happy to share mine. But I'd love to hear what, what you learned as you uh, listened to some of your fellow execs talk about capital markets. Yeah. Um, I think my biggest takeaway was uh, how much more I have to learn uh, in the industry after listening to the, the true SMEs at the subject. I thought it was great uh, cast of people that you pulled together for that series. And, um, you know, Greg and Caroline, just industry veterans that know so much about the capital market space. So I think, you know, for the audience, they're obviously a great um, uh, two panelists to have on that side. I love so much that after the show aired, you you shared with me that you got some feedback from a uh, actually it might may have even been a prospect in the in the poly lead funnel that they shared with their entire team, and it's turned into a great resource for for junior hires to learn about the key priorities in capital markets. I, I couldn't ask for anything more for publishing a masterclass series like that. Yeah, really cool, and um, 
Yeah, I, I mean, thanks for the uh, the partnership on this because yeah, we we started to get a bunch of customers and prospects to your point that started to reach out and uh, share that they're going to use this one on one series really to get people up to speed that are from outside of industry coming in or the newcomers. So exciting. So some of the key themes that popped out to me were there was a the word agility came up many times and we're, we're talking about technology agility, but also process and systems agility as lenders have been adapting to changes in, in volume and changes in capital markets and changes in interest rates. Uh, so agility kept popping up. The other big theme, which really surprised me was Caroline and Greg's emphasis that there's really no one size fits all. And even though Caroline and Greg have worked together at several different mortgage banks and independent mortgage banks, there seems to be a, um, you know, a diverging different types of strategies for different types of institutions. Is that something that you see as you've been ramping into your role as CRO at Poly? Yes, definitely. I think, uh, banks have different, um, uh, DNA to them, whether that comes from who their target audience is from a consumer standpoint, whether uh, they have a, a monetary facility where they can portfolio loans or they can't, whether they have, uh, you know, they're part of a depository where mortgage is one product of many or mortgage is like the primary product. Um, so when you start to kind of amass all those variables, into the equation, inevitably, you're going to have different approaches to the market uh, to really put out loan products because you're either targeting different uh, markets or you have different um, tools to work with. So inevitably, it kind of changes the game for each lender. And while there may not be one size fits all in terms of process or tech, it does seem like the the um, the common theme across all lenders is the emphasis on accessing liquidity. And um, Greg and Caroline talked about that a lot the the need to be able to access liquidity in different markets. And I think one of the things that surprised me the most about the role of being a head of capital markets or secondary markets leader is the constant emphasis on building new relationships with capital sources and liquidity partners. Because as markets change, you can't necessarily always rely on the folks that that bought your loans in the past to be the ones who provide funding or, or buy loans in the future. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, we've seen a lot of that movement in the correspondent world, whether that's wholesale or um, closed loan purchase aggregators where, you know, the biggest aggregator in the market, Wells Fargo exited and a whole bunch of people were selling loans to them. They had to find a new, you know, liquidity, uh, uh partner on that side. So I think that's right. Yeah. I mean, I think, in, and there's probably more to come more consolidation. So you have to have that fungibility of, you can't get single threaded and that's interesting. Um, I think it is interesting the way that Caroline painted it in terms of, you know, you think of the capital markets and the originator as the target customer, but they got to think about how they're developing those partnerships and relationships so that they can be successful as well. So it kind of cuts both ways for sure. It's such a strategic role. It's not a, uh, I think you can, I, I talk about this in one of the episodes that you a lot of industry outsiders or, or folks on different parts of the um, lending ecosystem, whether they're originators or agents, 
might not understand how strategic the capital marts, markets desk is and how it might feel a little more like a, a back office function or like kind of the, the tail of the process. But the banks that are doing this right have their capital markets leaders sitting on the executive teams and the strategy and product meetings that really drive the approach that a lender is able to execute on for their origination strategy. Um, incredibly strategic role and capability. We go pretty deep into that in the episode um, with Adam, as well as the episode with Caroline and Greg. So I hope everybody can check out this Secondary Markets Masterclass. We'll drop a link in the show notes. It's, it's close to four hours of content, four episodes focused in on all things capital markets. And uh, I think we bring a lot of value to the ecosystem. So Parvash, thank you for for being a guest in one of those episodes. Thank you. All right. So Parvash, let's jump, jump in forward. I, you've been everywhere recently. I keep seeing you pop up in my LinkedIn feed, not just posting articles and comments, but you have been out in the industry, sitting with executives, talking to them about their their issues and, and hopefully finding some some opportunities. So I'd love to hear from you as you've been out talking to clients and prospects. What are some of the problems that you are hearing from mortgage executives today in, in these conversations? Yeah, I, I, I feel like I've been on... LinkedIn way more than I ever had been before. So it's fun. And it's also like, oh, I'm, I'm one of those people that's always on LinkedIn now. So I don't want to become like, you know, the guy that people are trying to swat away or whatever, but it's great. It's, it's actually working really well in terms of getting a ton of engagement out there. I think there's a real need to be solved. And so as a result, um, you know, we're putting out information that people need. And, and as a result of putting out that information that people need, we're getting high levels of engagement to solve those problems. So I think all that's actually working really well in terms of being out and about, you know, with customers, um, with industry leaders uh, and really kind of collaborating with them in the space. There, there is a couple kind of ongoing themes for sure that, uh, that I'm seeing. And actually you alluded to one earlier around, you know, agility um, where uh, I think lenders in general, um, really have to think about agility from a couple different perspectives. One, technology agility, uh, as well as mortgage originations agility. And when I talk about mortgage originations agility, it's uh, it's talking about their ability to put out um, competitive loan products with, you know, that are profitable. Um, from a technology agility standpoint, it's kind of been a little bit uh, pleasantly accept or starting to get accepted. I think not pleasantly surprised on my side, but pleasantly accepted now that I think people doubted the ability for a new technology entrant, um, which I'd say probably was a new technology entrant maybe three, four years ago. But now I think in the past year, it started to become a real kind of mainstay uh, with people that are engaging with us in the ability for uh, technology to move as quickly as it does. I think they got used to not being able to, um, you know, get out product or engage their partner, ask for a feature, get it into market quickly. And that just became the norm, unfortunately. Uh, and so the agility to be able to be responsive to customer needs in a technology platform that has enabled that, you know, being cloud native, API adjacent, all those types of things has really enabled, um, you know, customers and industry partners to start to come to the table and say, what can we do together to move more quickly? 
um, on that side. And then I think the other part of the agility that you're that you're you had mentioned is really about um, loan products. And so, uh, you know, historically, uh, if you want to get out loan products with very finite parameters or details um, that allow you to be competitive in a geographical location or at a particular margin, you kind of had to unravel a lot, whether it's in your spreadsheet or ask for code to be deployed or whatever. And um, I think what we're seeing is that the the market is engaging us uh, very deeply because it's all in product. It's in a UI. There's no new code. There's no new things that you have to do. You convert a bunch of parameters and, you know, um, loan products in the system. And so when things come down from the secondary market, whether it's things like home ready or home possible from the GSEs, uh, we, we are able to support customers and their ability to get those products out that are profitable products. So I think those are the themes that when we're talking to customers, again, not pleasantly surprised on my side. That's why I joined the company. But um, I think being pleasantly accepted now that this is actually possible. Is there a client education or like prospect education process if the if the industry history has not been, hey, ask for a feature and get it delivered a few months later? Like, how do you like open the door to those types of conversations and help clients understand that you actually can be there for for that level of like iteration or, or fast development from a partner perspective? I think it boils down to you have to prove it. Yeah, uh, you can talk about it unless you actually see it. Um, no one's going to believe it, and I think that's fine. That's how they should react. They should say, "Prove it to me." And I think you know, Polly and the team, and the product team, and the engineering team are just top notch. And I think what we're doing is we are proving it one by um, referring them to customers uh, that have done it like Caroline Payne, you know, over at movement. Um, She deployed the system and continued to ask for more features and functions, her and Lyra Wagner, you know, both uh, blessings on that side, but also challenged us to step up to the game, you know, in terms of what uh, we can actually do. And we proved that not only did we deploy technology day one, but they asked for more stuff and we deployed things day two and we're good partners that way. And then I think the second one is uh, outside of our proven track record now with top tier customers like Movement, New American Funding, whoever, that uh, we actually t- in the sales process, we can actually take some of those requests. You know, some of these sales cycles are six months long and you can actually knock stuff out during the sales cycle, which is totally unheard of. Um, and uh, we've been proving that out as well. So, you know, put your money where your mouth is. Everyone can say they can do it, but until you're actually willing to make a contractual commitment or actually show that you've deployed the tech, then yeah, it's a bunch of talk. So, What are some of the features or functions that clients and, and prospects have been asking for. I'm kind of curious how that, like if people are trying to fix problems that have existed for, for years or decades, or if I uh, take things from spreadsheet to the cloud, or if these are resolutions to new issues or new products that are available in market today. So it's like a kind of a, a, a unique or a new ask. I want to make sure I understand your question. So when you're saying what is kind of the new request 
that's happening out there. Yeah. So you mentioned like having clients that come to you with an ass, you're able to deliver in, you know, a day or a month or a, a period of time. And then other clients that are asking for something in a sales process that you're able to deliver on, on implementation. I'm kind of curious of what, what types of features are those? So I think, you know, what you're alluding to on the spreadsheet side, I mean, that stuff is foundational. So that stuff's not easy, right? Like you're not going to be able to convert your architecture from, you know, something that's spreadsheet oriented to, uh, you know, UI and, um, you know, software oriented, you know, within months, it's going to take you actually years to do that. So, uh, fortunately we've architected things in a way that, you know, starts with that foundation. Then I think, you know, from feature areas, it can be things like loan officers asking for you to be able to sort something a different way so that they can engage the consumer um, in a easier way. So they can put the better, the best loan product in front of the consumer so they can get the consumer the best price. Um, so, you know, things like that, uh, you know, on the loan officer side, I think, um, in terms of corporate management uh, with their branches and how they want to be able to um, enable uh, branch level uh, managers to manage beyond the corporate margin down to branch margin, things like that. There's all these like little nuances that different lenders want to your point that, you know, it sounds like, you know, Caroline and Greg pointed out. Um, and so those, those things are, you know, I think not super easy, but, you know, if you have the right tech stack and the right architecture and the right foundation, then it allows you to move a lot more quickly on those types of requests. So Parvesh, you and your team recently published an article with Housing Wire, and there's a, a quote in there from you that Polly has revolutionized mortgage capital markets uh, and process transformation that we haven't experienced in this industry segment in 20 plus years. Can you go a little deeper there and tell us what you what you mean by uh, that type of transformation that we just we haven't seen in decades? Yeah, <laughs> that was a big bold statement, huh? So I got to now back it up. Yeah, back it up. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think you know it, it comes from really you know the technology that was solved for 15, 20 years ago was the right tech, right? People, and specifically in the capital markets, were managing things 100% in spreadsheets. And the ability to roll out loan products and margin management was pretty complex. And so I think what emerged 15, 20 years ago was a phenomenal great fit. The reality is, is that um, the world evolves, industry needs evolve, not only does your technology within your four walls evolve, but the technologies outside your four walls evolve as well. And so the interoperability there um, needs to be solved for too. So I think in terms of technology, like I've never seen before, that's kind of the statement on that side. Um, in terms of, you know, what is, you know, vertical capital markets and what does it really mean to the market? I really think about it in probably, or it's not me really, it's really our founder, Adam Carmel, um, really thinks about it, I think in three ways, right? I think there's one, the intersection between the primary market and the secondary market. So ultimately a product and pricing engine does not stand alone in a vertical capital markets solution. It really is contemplating not only what's happening in the origination side, but it's also contemplating what's happening on the secondary market side. Um, I think two, 
in a vertical capital market solution, what it's really doing is contemplating not just, uh, you know, what's existing within your tech stack, but it's really contemplating, um, you know, the vendors and service providers that exist around the product to pricing engine, around, around loan trading and other kind of capital market solutions as well. And so when you think about being able to solve that in a vertical stack, you have to be able to leverage, you know, elegant APIs or, you know, organically built solutions to be able to enlist those partners and not push them away, but enlist them to solve those problems. Because at the end of the day, you're not going to solve every single problem. You want to focus on your core and then enlist other folks to help, you know, go up and down with you in that vertical stack. And then I think the third is really, um, you know, not only looking at, you know, the front end of how uh, you engage LOs and brokers from beginning, but all the way back as you start to kind of march down, you know, the manufacturing process of really solving for real world pricing and trading needs that go across um, whether it is inside the the primary world where you have the pricing engine, where you have capital markets folks that are pricing things out, you're working with uh, hedging and um, trading analytics. You're also bringing things to market on the security side where you're leveraging workflows and data to make all of that vertically connected uh, in terms of your decisioning from consumer to LO, to capital markets, to hedging, to securitizing and trading. So I think that's the thing that is really starting to get contemplated and thought about in a different way uh, here at Poly. So you, you talked about integrating with other technologies and partners inside of the, the technology stack and also the importance of vertical integration, which like implies data integration, integration and data flow across the process. What's important to those pieces fitting well together? I'm thinking about like, is this a, is this a place that Mismo plays an important role in and how the pieces fit together? Are these like one-on-one partnerships? Like how, how do you ensure or manage the communication flow with other partners in the tech stack to ensure you're building in the right integrated connection? That's a great question. I think it comes from uh, really having a platform approach, number one. Um, you're not like a point solution. Like what is the platform going to do where the APIs are extensible and that you have the ability to work with customers that can use your platform to extend out, like you were talking about earlier, where they may have some unique requirements or needs so they can take your platform and then build on top of it without um, limiting or restricting them to be able to do that. So that's on the one side. And then, and then definitely I think on the Mismo side, you know, it's it's one of those things where if you can get everyone to align, you know, if you're able to herd the cats, I think uh, Mismo can play a big role in um, helping, you know, the execution and the trades between the primary and the secondary market. Um, but if you can't get, you know, if you're not able to herd those cats, then you kind of have to go it alone and you have to kind of start to amass, you know, some of the technologies and um, participants to uh, participate in that normalized data as well. So I think both are paths that we will pursue because we just want to get to the right answer and right solution. But 
whoever's whatever's going to get us there quickest is is going to be the answer. It, it really seems like there's been a increasing buzz around around poly. So I imagine that opening doors for new partner relationships or um, integration conversations is, isn't the most difficult. You're not knocking and introducing who poly is at, at this stage in time. But tell me, what do you think's driving that that buzz, and and how, how does that feedback loop hit you? Yeah, it, it's it's a good question because. I'll tell you, I'm definitely feeling it the past month or two, and things are moving a lot quicker uh, than I think we all thought, which is phenomenal. And I think there's a lot of, you know, industry movement uh, that has led to that. But I also think it's really just the things that we've been doing inside the four walls of Poly. And I think one, it goes back to a little bit of what we talked about earlier, where, you know, I think there's technologies that solved the problem 15, 20 years ago. That's part of it. I think the other part is that, you know, new entrants that have come into the space, we've seen a lot of technologists try to come into the space and solve mortgage problems. But the reality is, is that, um, you know, our founder, um, Adam Carmel, and our product leadership come from industry. And so, and when I say come from industry, that means own a mortgage bank, uh, you know, managed uh, day-to-day operations of mortgage bank, had to do all the things that mortgage bankers need to do. So the way that we think about things um, at Poly, and I think why we're getting so much buzz is that we're actually solving real world problems. Um, We're not technologists coming in trying to figure out what the problem is. We know what the problem is and then we're solving it. Um, And then from there, we're really able to start to kind of march down um, the different areas and think about how we make things more operationally efficient across capital markets folks, lock desk uh, folks, um, operations teams, loan officers, security traders, and just be much more proficient um, across the board. So I think that's you know where a lot of the buzz is coming from, where um, people are seeing that we understand the problem. We're not trying to figure out the problem. We know what the problem is and we can actually solve it. And back to the vertical capital markets part, we're thinking about it much more broadly than just a pricing engine. And then I think the other thing is that we have uh, technology that, um, you know, quite frankly, we have patents that we're looking to, uh, that are patent pending that we're looking to solidify on that side. So some of these things that are making people more operationally efficient, whether it's margin management, or the horizontal architecture that we have, you know, from a loan product standpoint, really allows us to say, yeah, we're differentiated. And because it's patent pending, no one else is going to be able to do the things that we're able to do. So I think, you know, people are seeing that. And it's not just at, you know, an independent mortgage bank. It's not just at a credit union. It's not just at a big lender. And it's not just at a small lender. We're kind of solving the problems up and down market from, small community bank all the way up to the largest, you know, top five uh, mortgage originators in the country. So. So Adam talked about his story a little bit in our, in the fourth episode of the masterclass series. But I mean, if we're talking about the topic of buzz, I think Adam's story alone and the founding story of Polly, like is, is buzzworthy, buzzworthy. So like he was running a mortgage bank, saw a capital markets issue, (laughs) technology issue, went to his board and said, Hey, I think we should sell the mortgage bank and then take the proceeds and start a tech company. Am I getting that story straight? That's kind of how it went. Totally. And that's Adam. And that's why probably more than 50% of the reason I joined was because of Adam, because 
he that's the type of personality that's running this company, right? Like he wants to go out and really solve problems. He doesn't want to just talk about it. So like that type of initiative that he took inside of there is, uh, is Adam. Yeah, for sure. And it's almost like unbelievable that it worked out the way, the way it has. Like, I can't imagine many like mortgage bank boards being like, yeah, that sounds like a, that sounds like a good plan. And and the team came too, right? Wasn't John Foy on the, on the team on the mortgage banking side. And like, so it wasn't just Adam that like sold his business and started something new. It was a evolution. hundred percent. Yeah. And that's what I was alluding to earlier where it's like, that's part of the buzz is that, you know, Adam came on a mortgage bank um, and John Foy, who's our product leader, uh, was inside those four walls. And the two of them started this whole thing. And, you know, it wasn't necessarily in a garage. They had some funding. Um, like you said, they got it from the board and um, they know like what happens on a day to day basis of like the pain points that people run into. So, yeah, that's it's kind of the cool part of the story for sure. Such a better founding story than the uh, the you know, the, the mortgage tech story we've all heard where I got my first mortgage. It was hard. So I decided I'm going to change the process. <laughs> Why can't this just be easier? Well, you should be in the mortgage industry for 20 years and then you can answer that question. Yeah. So yeah, I know um, you and Adam and the rest of the team can walk into a client or partner meeting with a whole different level of credibility with the background, um, which is, is unique. And both of you guys are still like, young and like relatively early career, like, but still coming at it with 20 years of experience and, uh, digital native enough to have some credibility in the, um, in the tech space. Yeah. I've always thought I had good energy, but then I started working with Adam and he's up leveled my energy. So, uh, so I think that's going to continue for the foreseeable future for sure. So we'll keep working on that chai latte and we'll, uh, (laughs) back up there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right. So Parvash, let's talk a little bit about, little bit about current market dynamics. Um, we're still fighting through this relatively uh, hellish part of a market cycle. NBA projections for 2023 have purchased down about, about 16, 17% over, over 2022. And we know 2022 wasn't a, a full year of production. Um, and uh, refied volumes down or projected to be down 50%. How do these these types of volume changes impact the capital markets leaders and desks that that you support at Poly? Like, how, how do they think about these these rapid shifts in volume? So, I think there's kind of two vectors. Like, there's the exec level, obviously, and there's the CEO that has to figure out how they cut costs. Um, they went from like there's the P the P and L impact. Yeah, the P and L. Yeah, that's right. And I think they. Um, you know, we all know last year was a cliff, you know, everything fell off and they had to make some big shifts really quickly, but that stuff takes time. And the reality is, is that even at the reduced volumes we're at today, it still seems like there's more to come from cost reduction uh, of people and probably going to be more consolidation, you know, in the market, um, you know, on that side. And so I think, you know, CEOs are thinking about that and they want, you know, real world cost reduction, whether that's direct costs on software, um, whether that's soft costs on efficiency gains. Um, and so, you know, this is the mortgage industry. If you've been around it lo- long enough, you know, this is a cycle. And the ones that m- know how to do it right have, you know, uh, mitigated their risk where they made a bunch of money, you know, in 2021, 2022. And so... 
you know, they know what they're in for and they are not just going to be cutting, you know, focused just on cutting hard costs and soft costs, but they're going to be getting themselves ready for the next round um, because they know that's going to happen in one to two years. Right. And so it's kind of like a multi-vector. They're, they're, they're kind of hitting it from both sides at the same time. Um, and then the capital markets folks, it kind of, again, it goes back to the same fundamentals of like, you know, they have to be able to be nimble and um, compete for market with less essentially like, you know, they have less people and they have less market share. So it's like not two times as hard. It's four times as hard. And so um, they have to be able to figure out how to efficiently roll out loan products that put them in a place that help them compete. And they're going to, some people are going to do that at a non-profitable level and some people are going to do it at a profitable level. Um, But I think those are the things that people are thinking about in kind of this downturn and volatile kind of world. And then kind of like on that last note, and I think I mentioned it earlier, but you know, then you have uh, the GSEs where they're changing the economics of the world to be more uh, favorable to underserved markets. And so historically, I think in the product and pricing space, and I think even on the new tech side, uh, even some of the new technologists don't really know how to manage or have the capability to ingest um, those types of things, whether they're non-QM or bond programs or things getting handed down from FHFA. Um, and so, uh, you know, they're at a disadvantage if they can't roll out those types of loan programs, because that's the stuff that is being incentivized by the secondary market, um, where you're going to find the profits right now. So, yeah, that's, that's excellent. Excellent insights. We're getting ready for housing wire annual right now, which is coming up in October. And we're, we just cut off some planning calls with three of our, our key speakers, Frank Martell from, Loan Depot, uh, Baron Silverstein from New Res, Kim Nichols from, from Penny Mac. And they're, they're hitting on those ex- exact points. And, uh, so I'm excited to bring that, that content to stage. If you, uh, think of any good questions for me to, to pepper in on those sessions, I'm, I'm all ears, Parvash, but, uh, uh, I'll let you follow up with me on that one. So the other market dynamic that I want to hit on is, uh, actually staying on the theme of mortgage bankers association data. The NBA just released their delinquency data. Housing Wire published an article that this is the the lowest delinquency rate that the NBA has seen in this tracking for 43 years, um, which uh, you know is a pretty positive economic signal. And I'm curious, as you work daily with capital markets leaders, how this incredibly low, historically low delinquency rate impacts capital markets deaths. If there's any flow through to MSR values or mortgage-backed security values or um, any other considerations that uh, kind of bring some context to to this type of data. Yeah, it's a really good question because I think everyone knows that rates are higher Um, So what does that do to kind of their portfolio or or their MSRs and things like that? And I think it's also um, interesting because, you know, this is a quote unquote downturn, but it's, we all know it's nothing like 2007 and 2008 where that was really driven by um, delinquencies, right? And defaults and credit risk and things like that. And so when that happened, there's kind of like no 
real, like, where's the end in sight? Like, where's the recovery? Um, what this tells us is obviously that, and we kind of knew this, right? We are all saying this throughout the past 10 years that these loans are good. Like we're giving out high quality loans with high credit um, and they're being put through the ringer from an underwriting standpoint. And so this is actually proving that out, right? Like the past 10 years, we thought that this is proving it out because we're not having delinquencies. There's a downturn in the market. You know, appreciation isn't operating the same way, which is kind of what holds everything up. And so credit is good. So I think, you know, what what we are hearing from capital markets folks is um, what is it that they're going to do again to prepare themselves uh, for when things come back? And when things come back, it's going to be, you know, there's going to be stabilization. Interest rates could flatten and there's different ways to get at market that way. But if mar- if rates do drop and you have, uh, you know, uh, lend- uh, borrowers that are not um, delinquent and they're high, of high credit value, then they're going to be prime targets to refi, right? So the portfolio retention play is going to be massive uh, because, you know, if you go from a seven to a five and they can pre-approve you because they know you're of high credit and high quality, then why wouldn't they do that like as quickly and as easily as possible um, to hit that customer, retain that MSR, and then also, you know, make some money on the uh, origination. So I think, you know, the intelligent ones are thinking about portfolio retention and they know that the delin- the low delinquency rate means high credit value. Yeah, that's so low delinquency, high credit quality, good, good thing for values. But the fact that there may be refis coming in the next whatever it is, 12, 24, 36 months. I think that's one of the reasons why we're seeing some pretty wide spreads in, um, between the 10-year and mortgage-backed securities right now. So I'm wondering if this like lower delinquency rate, uh, you know, potentially upcoming lower rate environment, um, you know, puts a little pressure on, on security values. Yeah, it definitely puts the pressure on the values uh, in terms of secondary market trade. Um, question is, is just what are you going to do with uh, – you know, if you actually have um, the borrower in your crosshairs or not. Yep. Yeah. I know you're focused on the the exact right area. I mean, it's focused on what lenders can control, not what they can't control. What they can control is retention. All right. Parvesh, thank you so much for joining me on another episode of Housing News. Always love talking to you and hearing about everything you learn through your interactions with executives and capital markets leaders in the industry and the innovation that you and Adam and the team at Poly are bringing to the market. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. It's always fun to chat, so I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to the Housing News Podcast. Please take a few seconds to rate Housing News on Apple Podcasts. It means a lot for the show, and we really do appreciate and listen to your feedback. Also, we're gearing up for Housing Wire Annual in October please visit housingwire.com forward slash events for full details about our big annual event in Austin, Texas. 